Hey everyone, good to see you this morning. My name is Tony and I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. Uh, If you're online this morning, which many of you are, it's fall break. A lot of our families are traveling uh, with their kids and we hope that you are really enjoying yourself and uh, do not come home with COVID. That's all I got to say. And uh, But uh, no, we are so glad that you're on with us today. Today is week one of a three-week series that uh, on politics and religion. Um, I actually borrowed a lot of this, the graphics, and a lot of the stuff from a church that I saw do something like this. Because the truth of the matter is, uh, most pastors just don't want to delve into this topic. And um, for a lot of reasons, you could only imagine, right? Um, religion, you know, you can't get away from talking about that in church. We talk about that. But politics, well, mama says you can't talk about it at the Thanksgiving table. So if you can't talk about it at the Thanksgiving table, it makes it even harder to talk about it here at church. But we are three weeks out from an election, and I mean, things are getting pretty ugly. And uh, things are getting crazy, and uh, it's just embarrassing, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's an appropriate topic for us for the next three weeks. Uh, The last week that we do, week three, will actually be on November 1st. And you all know what happens on November 3rd right? So I hope that you open up your heart and you open up your mind to some of the things that I'm talking about. I said earlier, you might think it's inappropriate to talk about religion or to to talk about politics in church. And I've actually heard people leave churches. I've had people come to my church and and say they left the church because all they ever did is talk about politics and they mixed religion and politics and and all of this. And some people actually say there's too much politic talk in the church. Uh, I usually, like I said, stay away from this topic, but these are strange times. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life, almost 50 years, um, when what's happening in the political scene directly intersects with Jesus and what his message is, and what his teachings are. I think the teachings of Jesus are more appropriate now than probably any time in my life. Um, Because nothing brings out hate and division more than politics. Right now, there's no other topic in our culture that's dividing us more than politics. Inside the church, outside the church, nothing divides us like politics. And I just think Jesus has a lot to say to us, church, those of us who are following Jesus. And if you aren't a Jesus follower today and you're here or you're watching online, I want you to see something about Jesus that can really solve this problem. I want you to hear his teaching. I want you to hear what his prayer is for his people, those who follow him, then see how this intersects and can really help us. But why? Why in the world does politics divide us so much? I mean, it's not simply just about I believe one thing and you believe another and we're divided. No, there's something else going on here. There's something that's going on amongst people who think differently. But why does politics divide us? And I think this is why right here. Nothing divides us more than fear. 
Didn't Jesus say, or somebody say, perfect love casts out all fear? So when you see people hating, you could flip that statement around. Nothing casts out, perfect love casts out all fear. You could say, hate comes from fear. We're fighting and we're divided because we're afraid. Don't believe me? I went back into the archives and pulled out a 1968 political TV ad. Hold on, because this is going to make you feel so much better about our political scene today. Watch. I'm already scared. recent years, crime in this country has grown nine times as fast as population. Oh my goodness. At the current rate, the crimes of violence in America will double by 1972. We cannot accept that kind of future for America. We owe it to the decent and law-abiding citizens of America to take the offensive against the criminal forces that threaten their peace and their security, and to rebuild respect for law across this country. I pledge to you, The wave of crime is not going to be the wave of the future in America. Like your whole world depended on it, Nixon. I'm no crook. In 1968, the people saw two assassinations, violent Vietnam War protests, racial unrest... Rising crime rates. Politicians will peddle fear because they can raise a lot of money and sway people because they know fear motivates us. But if you take a whole bunch of people who think differently, who are afraid, and who are fearful, it divides us. Republicans are trying to take away your vote. Democrats are trying to take away your guns. If the president is reelected, it's the end of the world. These are things that I'm quoting I've heard. If a socialist Democrat is elected, it's the end of the world. And what exactly is it that we're afraid of? What are you afraid of? Seriously, what exactly... Do you fear? On the surface, you might think we fear Republican policies. On the surface, you might think we fear Democratic policies. On the surface, you might think we, we, we're fearful of what they might do, right? But why? Why? Think, go a little deeper than the surface. If you go deeper below the surface, here's what I think. I think we really fear loss. We fear that we're going to lose control of our lives. We fear that we're going to lose opportunities that might be there for us. We fear that we're going to lose our wealth because we've worked hard for it, right? We fear we're going to lose our culture. We fear that we're going to lose our freedom. We fear that we're going to lose progress. And so you hear these political ads, if you vote for so-and-so, it'll be the end of this for you. 
And it'll be the end of the world. If you vote for this person, it'll be the end of your life and whatever you, yeah. And so we are fearful of one another. We don't trust one another. White people fear what might happen. People of color fear what has already happened. And we have this incredible opportunity, church, in a time where fear is at its highest level. Division is at its greatest strength. We, church, have an opportunity to model to our families, to model to our communities, to model to our country what it looks like to disagree politically, but yet love unconditionally. It's our time. This is the moment for us to stand up and shine and to truly follow Jesus so that the world might see it can be different. We have this opportunity. But let me ask you this question this morning before I go any further. Are you willing to do that today? But pastor, you... No. The moment you say but is the moment you stop listening. Did you get that? There are people here who think differently than you. (gasps) There are people here who will vote differently than you. (gasps) (laughs) The moment you say but is the moment you stop listening. Are you ready and willing to do this. Can we do this? I'm not ch- I'm challenging you today. I'm not challenging you today to just tolerate one another. Listen, I'm not challenging you today to just tolerate, to be nice with an eye roll. Oh, them liberals. Oh, them conservatives. Them fascists, communist pigs. I love you, but No. I'm not challenging you to just put up with one another. I'm asking you to let Jesus, listen to this, I'm asking you to let Jesus be your political filter, not the other way around. Not to let your politics filter out your Jesus. It's amazing to me the teachings of Jesus that we will filter out when it comes to our politics. I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you the truth. Jesus don't care about your politics. Let me ask you this in another way. Today, are you open to follow Jesus even when doing so might create a distance between me and my political party or its platform? That's what I'm asking you. Are you willing to open your heart? Are you willing to open your mind? Are you willing to open your ears and your your eyes and listen? Your ears and listen. And be ready to follow Jesus even if it creates space and distance between you and your political party and platform. Most Christians aren't. But this does not surprise Jesus. He actually saw this coming. 
Jesus actually saw this moment in history, you and me, well, he didn't see an election, but he saw the division. Jesus actually saw this coming. Not an election, but a division that could potentially happen amongst his very people who call themselves Christians. And I want to look at Jesus' prayer in the book of John this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John. I'll have it up here for you. A prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. For us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus had a prayer request. I know it seems strange for Jesus to have a prayer request, but he prayed for us. And I think his prayer speaks deeply into this moment of our history and where we are as a people. I'm in John chapter 17. Start reading in verse 1. I want to start there. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. It's a prayer. Father, The hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. The hour has come. This is it. This is my moment. My time is running out. Death is coming. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him. The cross, persecution, betrayal. He he knows. And he says, the hour has come. This is my time. This is that last will and request of Jesus. The end is coming and I have a dying bed prayer. I wonder what it is. He says, glorify your son. His dying wish, his last prayer is that none of what he is doing or has done would be in vain. He's asking the Father to glorify him. This horrifying moment of the cross would become a glorifying moment for Jesus. His death would bring glory, glory to God. But why? He says that you may glorify, that I may glorify you. Jesus' whole life and laying down his life is for one purpose, to bring glory to God. I know, glory to God. Verse 11, I want to jump to verse 11 because Jesus prays this prayer, but his prayer is not done. His dying bed prayer. I will remain in the world no longer. But they, he's talking about the 12 disciples. He's talking about the hundred. He's talking about the people surrounding him before his death. Those who are following him. This is not you and me yet. This is his disciples. They are still in the world. I'm leaving, but they're staying. And I'm coming to you. Don't miss this very. What's next is truly amazing. Most Christians miss this. I don't know why, but they miss it. They don't know this. But here is Jesus' prayer request. Second part. Holy Father, protect them. Makes sense, right? I'm leaving. They're staying. It's going to get rough. It's going to be hard. 
I'm not here anymore. I'm their leader. I'm their spiritual father. I'm their God, their Messiah. I'm leaving. They're staying. Protect them by the power of your name. That's power. Jesus is saying, I want you to protect them. The name you gave me. Now, don't miss this. So that they won't be hurt. Right? Go back. So that they won't be hurt. They won't be arrested. They won't be crucified. They won't be thrown in jail. They won't be beaten. They won't be stoned. They won't be persecuted. They won't be scattered amongst the nations. I want to protect. I'm praying, God, that you would protect my disciples. So that. And you might think so that they don't have to face a hard time, right? Jesus prays because he's worried about them. He's concerned for them. Jesus prays by the very power of God's name so that, it's a purpose clause, I'm praying so that you would protect them. Protect them to what end? Jesus didn't pray his prayer. You would think if you look at the history of the disciples, Jesus prays this prayer before he leaves. You would look at the history of the disciples and you think, wow, I'm going to go to somebody else to pray for me because Jesus' prayers didn't work. He's praying for protection. And yet when you look ahead, you realize every single one of these guys were arrested. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were martyred. Protect them from what? I would have prayed to protect me from Rome or, you know, whatever. But look what he says in the next one. Protect them so that they may be one as we are one. What? Now, can you imagine the disciples sitting around listening to Jesus pray this prayer? I know. You guys got to put up with my weirdness. When, when I read the scriptures, I see other things that are happening around, and I'm thinking, where are the disciples? I mean, obviously they heard Jesus pray this because they wrote it down, right? Protect them. Can you imagine the disciples listening and say, whoa, wait, 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 wait. What did he say? Protect us so that we can be one as you are one. What? Jesus, do you know that Rome's coming after us? Do you know that the Pharisees are coming after us? Do you know that there's angry crowds waiting for us? Do you know the hardships? Hey, Jesus, could you pray for protection from Caesar or protection from Rome or maybe protection from the Pharisees? Could you pray for protection from angry crowds. Hey, Jesus, how about you pray that maybe we'll go into areas of the world that have friendly governments? Yeah, that's it. City leaders who will be open to our message. Hey, Jesus, why don't you pray a protection so that, hey, I got it. Maybe someday there can be a nation that has like Bill of Rights that gives us the freedom to worship. And to speak freely. Unless you're afraid somebody's going to take that away from you too, right? Maybe, Jesus, you could pray for a place where there's freedom of religion and free speech and right to assemble. And we won't have to deal. That's the protection we need, Jesus, is that. Because that's going to make us Christian. That's going to let us get our message out there. No. No. Listen to me, American Christian. 
Stop thinking you need your government to help you push your faith. You don't need it. You have something much more powerful in you to be a witness to all the world. The Holy Spirit Himself. You don't need a right or freedom or a right to assemble or even a right to gather. We don't need that. Am I willing to give it up? No. But if it's taken away, I don't need that. And neither do you. This is not what God said would make the difference in his mission. Jesus didn't pray for these protections. Jesus prayed that we may be one. They may be one as we are one. Jesus' last wish, his last prayer for his disciple was unity and oneness. Then Jesus prays for us. He turns from his disciples. And then in verse 20, jump to verse 20, he then prays for you and me. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the 12 disciples, but my prayer is also for those who will believe in me through their message. We're about to go into all the world and share this gospel. And someday, 2,000 years later, there's going to be a little church with people in Angola, Indiana, and we are going to be benefit, we are going to believe because of the message that they preached. And Jesus is now praying for you and me. Because he knew at this point in time, he knew in his heart that there were these things that come up in natural human history that are going to divide us. Like politics. And Jesus prays. First he prays for his twelve, now he prays for us. And what do you think he prays? Next. That all of them Not some, but all. In that day, it was the Jews and the Gentiles and the Romans and the Samaritans and the women and the slaves and the freedmen and the soldiers and tax collectors, educated, uneducated, wealthy, poor. These are the things that divided people. Today, brown, black, white, rich, poor, middle class, upper class, Lower class, single, married, privileged, Republican, Democrat, independent, indecisive. How in the world can all of these people be one? Because we all fit into those categories. Verse 21b next. That all of them may be one. All. Not two, not this group and that group just kind of rolling their eyes at each other, getting along, being nice to each other. Any of y'all married? Any of y'all know how hard it is to be one? That's a little quick hand raise back there, McDaniels. I'm open Monday, Tuesdays, call me, my office is yours. Um, Y'all know how hard it is to become one? It's hard. Because you have your own mind. You have your own thought. You have your own person. And yet Jesus is praying that we be one. It sounds impossible. And honestly, I think it is. I think it's impossible. Unless Jesus does something in our hearts 
unless Jesus' prayer sinks deep into our spirit, our hearts, our minds, our souls, and we allow the example of Jesus to make it possible. Jesus was convinced that for his mission to be accomplished, that this could not be an impossibility, it must be an imperative. Say, so what do you mean by that? Jesus was so convinced that on his last dying prayer, his prayer was to protect us from division. Not from evil dictators and hardship and corruption and loss of rights. That wasn't a concern to Jesus. He was more concerned that we would be divided. It's an imperative. Jesus was about to do something that no other human being could have done. The perfect Lamb of God, the perfect God-man, fully God, fully human, glorified God completely. How did Jesus, remember his prayer, may I glorify, how did God bring glory to, Jesus bring glory to the Father and to the Godhead? He completely loved those who were against him. And we think glorifying God as being good. Doing good things. Living a clean life. I'm not saying those are bad. Of course they're good. But what truly brought glory to the Father was Jesus' willingness to obey the Father's wishes and will and lay down His life for His brothers and sisters even though they were sinners and against Him. How willing are you Republicans, to lay down your life for your Democratic friends. Friends. And vice versa. Jesus embraced a world that did not agree with Him. As a matter of fact, they didn't accept him and they didn't love him. But he unconditionally loved them anyways. He loved them completely by laying down his rights and his life. And that glorified God. If you want to bring glory to God in your life, it's not about just being perfect and good and clean, but it's about loving those who don't love you with all your heart. Now, this does not come naturally to us. <laughs> this is not a natural thing for us. This is why Jesus prayed for it. He knew it would be a problem for us. He knew it would be a challenge for us. But he continues. Look at this, what he says. That they may be one. Look what he says. Next verse. Father, just as you are in me, listen, and I am in you, may they also be in 
us. Oh, wow. This is really good stuff right here. This is like, this is like relationships 101. No, this is relationships 5.1 because it's a master's level course at relationships and love. The Father and the Son have such a relationship that there is no space in between them. They are one. They are one substance. They are one. <laughs> you cannot tear them apart. They give and give and give to one. They love each other so deeply, and there's this oneness to them that there's not even an ounce. Of, you can't even see any space there. And look, I'm in you, and you're in me. Guess what, Father? I'm going to pray. Let's invite them in. <laughs> I want them, those people that I'm about to die, I want them to come into this relationship. Jesus prays that we might share in the unity and the oneness that the Trinity shares. Think about that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, a love and a connection so deep that there's no space between them. You can't speak of the Son without speaking of the Father and vice versa. That's why we say, Father, God, Jesus is God, Holy Spirit is God. You can't speak of one without being speaking of the other. They are so connected. Jesus was about to do something incredible through the cross and through that he was inviting you and me into this relationship and he says just as god has opened himself up to us sinners enemies of god people who don't deserve it people who can't earn it people who can't do enough good to overcome it god has opened himself up to the cross his enemies and he's invited us to join into the fellowship that is him You know why Jesus is praying this? So that, (laughs) there it is again, so that, next verse, slide, the world, who's the world? All people who don't believe, those people far from God, people who have a different worldview than me, people who have different experience than me, people who have different understanding, different politics, different religion even, so that the world, what? Next, may believe. This is huge may believe, so that those far from God may believe. They will be convinced that God is love and that I should follow Jesus when they see the connection that you and I have with each other. Impossible? But with God, all things are possible. Jesus prays for us to do one, to be one, so that those who don't believe will be convinced. And here we are out there trying to convince them by swinging Bibles at them and Bible verses and yelling at them. And yeah, you. I don't know anyone that's been argued into the kingdom, but I know a lot of people that's been loved into the kingdom. Next verse, that they may believe that you have sent me. Don't miss this. Jesus' prayer isn't about me. (laughs) I know, he prayed for me, right? Well, yeah, he did. He prayed that we would be one, but why? Jesus is praying for his mission. 
He's praying that the world would be convinced, that the world would know that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah. Excuse me, the Messiah, God, Jesus that has come in the flesh, God who has come in the flesh in the person of Jesus, that the world would know that God loves them and wants a relationship with them, that the world, those who are far from God, Jesus is praying that we would be one so that they would believe, so that they would be convinced. Jesus said this, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's inspiring to see enemies in a Senate cabinet room give each other a hug. Two completely opposite spectrums of belief. Two completely political polar opposites but to care and concern for one another enough to give each other a hug and the world's head blew up. See, they don't get this. But this is what Jesus is saying. When two people who are completely different, completely opposite, different ends of the spectrum, different backgrounds, different understanding, different everything, can come together and love one another, something is happening that only God could do. Jesus was asking the Father to give a little push toward what He commanded us to do in John chapter 13. says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. But this everyone will know, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. They're not going to know that you're a disciple because you carry a Bible, or because you go to prayer meeting, or you come to church every week, or you, you know, pray at lunch. Okay, that's great. But that is not what's going to convince them to believe. What's going to convince them to believe is when we, in politically divided and culturally divided times, come together and truly love one another. Verse 22. Back to chapter 17. I have given them the glory, I, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Our highest purpose is to glorify God with our lives for Jesus. It was this obedience to the plan of God and the purpose of the Father, which was the cross. Jesus submitted to the Father's will. We bring glory to God when we come together as one. Completely unified around one purpose, one message, One command. This is something glorious. Listen, there is something glorious about two people who disagree coming together to love one another. Verse 23. We'll wrap this up here. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. And here we see this again. This is not about me. After the resurrection, the Holy Spirit filled the believers. They were launched into the world. Men, women, slaves, freedmen, Jews, Gentiles. They all came together as one people. One community. 
in unity around Jesus. And they launched with one purpose. One message. And one command. Their purpose was to go and make disciples. Their message was Jesus is King over all. And their command, love one another. Listen, I'm going to be Captain Obvious here, all right? There are going to be winners and there are going to be some losers come November 3rd or December, January, February. I have no idea when it's going to happen. There will be winners and there will be losers. The person you vote for will win or they'll lose based on how Americans vote. Listen. The church, the mission of God, will win or lose. Not on an election, but on our behavior. The winner and losers will be decided in the church and in God's kingdom, not based on an election, but on how we behave. We must not let anything divide us. Anything or anyone divide us. Both political parties, and I know this is a shocker, have gotten it wrong through the years. Both political parties continue to get things wrong. And they will. Both political leaders, political leaders from both parties fall short morally. They do not fulfill the will of God. And they fall short in their leadership. The question for you and me this morning is why in the world would I let a political view, which is temporary and always changing through the years, divide me from the living, breathing you? Why in the world would I let a political view that's always changing and moving, and as I get older, my views change? Why would I let something like that, that's temporary, divide me from you? who's eternal, created in the image of God, imperfect but loved. Why not fight for and struggle for and sacrifice for unity with each other? It's what Jesus prayed for. It's what Jesus gave us as an example when He went to the cross. So here's what I'd like us to do between now and Election Day. One, Come back next week. Watch online. I'm going to have more. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen, you don't have a choice in this. (laughs) I know, you do have a choice, but if you choose a certain way, then you're no longer following Jesus. This is Jesus' prayer for you, and this is God's will for you. And here's what I want to do. Two things. First is this. I want us to pray for oneness. Begin to pray that God would continue to bring us closer and tighter together. 
that even though we come from different worldviews, different ideas, different backgrounds, different history, different everything, political views, whatever, that in Christ there is no man, woman, black, white, slave, free. There is none of that. In Christ we are one. So let's pray for oneness. Father, make us one so that we can win many. Number two, I want you to do this. Look for a way to love someone you disagree politically with. But you didn't see what they posted. The minute you say, but, yeah, you stop listening. Would you stand with me? I want us to close with a prayer exercise this morning. So you're going to see on the screen where it says leader. And then you're going to see on the screen where it says people. When it says people, I want you to pray. Okay? I'm ready. There we go. Let's pray. God, we believe you have called us to unity. But often we have isolated ourselves from others. God, we believe you have called us to live together as one body. God, forgive us for the times we have created division within the God, we believe you ask us to look, to listen, and to learn from others. God, we believe you ask us to accept and seek to understand all who are called by your name. God, we believe you call us to be one, even as you are one. Forgive us for the disunity we have harbored. God, And creator of all humankind, your son Jesus Christ prayed that your church might be one. Even as as you, our God, are one, may you renew our minds and rekindle your love in our hearts so that the power of the Spirit, so that by the power of the Spirit, we might find the oneness that you intended for us. God, May we see your oneness in our need for unity. God, may we see in your threeness our need for community. God, may we see in your creativity our need for diversity. God, may we see in yourself our need to love each other. Amen. And make us one. God bless you all. Go and love someone this this week you're dismissed